So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're uh, in, uh, in a series going through 1 Corinthians. And I'll just be honest, some of these texts are kind of difficult. And uh, Pastor Jeff makes them look really, sound really easy when he goes through them. But we're continuing on in chapter 10. He started last week when he talked about some warnings. And we're going to continue on with some, some warnings that Paul gives us. This is a letter to an early church that, that was, uh, let's just say that it, it had a similar culture kind of where the United States finds itself today. There's a lot of stuff going on outside the walls of the church that we need to stay away from and we need to pray for people and people need the gospel. And when people do get saved out of a difficult culture, it's sometimes difficult and, and so hard to say, okay, what do I do now? What do I don't do you know, what do I stay away from and how do I navigate life? And uh, so that's what Paul's trying to help us through. And so there's some topics that are uh, very practical, but some may seem more practical back in the day, but they're very practical for us as well. So I just want to start off and read two verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 14 and 15, and then we'll, we'll pray. Here's what God's word says. So then, oh, time out, right? Whenever you see that, you got well, this has to do with what Pastor Jeff was talking about last week, warnings for us about what to do and not to do. And he continues, he says, So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Say that with me. Flee from idolatry. Verse 15, I am speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you. This morning for the men and women who gave their lives, for those who have worked so hard and dedicated uh, their lives to our freedom, and we thank you for them. And we're also thankful, Lord, that we can pray in the name of Jesus, the, the risen Savior, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And he, yes, died on the cross, but he rose again, uh, as we just sang, oh, the wondrous cross. We celebrate in that. Uh, but we celebrate that he is alive. He's seated at your right hand, dear Father, because his work is complete. Everything that we need for salvation and for a life in eternity with you, it has been accomplished through Jesus, and we thank you for that, Lord, and we celebrate that. And I just pray, Lord, for our pastor, uh, for Pastor Jeff, and for his family, for Kathy, and, and all of his extended family, Lord, and we lift them up to you. We know his, the task that they have is is huge, and would you just surround them uh, with your protection and, and guide them in a day-by-day -day and moment-by-moment -moment basis to, to stay connected with you as they, they lead us. Um, Father, thank you for everyone that's here. We do think about our families, Lord, and uh, some of us are going through difficulties with health issues and all kinds of different struggles. Lord, you are a big God, and I just pray that you'll do big things in our lives and, and help us. Lord, but most importantly, give us the boldness, Lord, to share the good news of Jesus with our friends, with our co-workers, with the, 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 the neighbor across the fence. Lord, people need to hear about you and your son Jesus, and so give us the boldness to do that. As we declare your word this morning, I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts and minds that are open, and just bless every, every single word that goes forth from this pulpit, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, like I said, Paul is making these theological arguments in, in uh, Corinthians that are sometimes difficult, but I want you to understand that they're intertwined with each other, 
And so a couple of our verses that we're going to get to next, 16 and 17 in a minute, uh, are actually fleshed out more in chapter 11 and chapter 12. And what we're going to talk about this morning really has its roots in chapter 8 that I preached on a month ago when I was here. And so I know some of you remember exactly everything I said last time I was up here, but some of you weren't here, and I understand that. And so we're going to have to go back and review just a little bit, and I hope it'll make sense, though, to you, because he keeps carrying on with these. uh, Some people had a really good excuse. They were coming back from the ark, and that's okay. But the rest of you, I don't know why you weren't here. But anyway, we won't get into that. Pastor, I've addressed that with Pastor Jeff already, but no, no, I'm just kidding you. Okay. I get nervous. Does anybody else get nervous talking in front of people? I get nervous, and then my, uh, from here to here doesn't always, there's like this, uh, supposed to be a filter in there somewhere, and it doesn't always work. Anybody with me? And so just forget what I say sometimes. But when I'm speaking the truth of God's word, I want you to listen to me. So here's what God's word says. Paul is saying, listen, there's some important issues that we need to know, and I'm just gonna give you a little secret. Did you know that church people not, not us, of course, but other church people, they don't like change. They, they don't like change. And so people that get saved and then they come into the church and then they're, they're doing what they're doing and then, and then Paul's like, yeah, but listen, there's a couple things I, I need you to, and he says the C word, right? Change, I need you to change some things, right? You're doing some things that are wrong and I kind of need to correct you and here's why. And it's kind of like a teenager. Have you had teenagers? Have you ever had to tell them something more than once? That's kind of like church people too. It's like, yeah, I need to tell you multiple times. So Paul, literally, these arguments are intertwined through several chapters because that's what we need as church people. We need to be told multiple times sometimes so it sinks in. Are you with me? And so I'm going to have to review a little bit, but uh, just stay with me because it's awesome. So In chapter 8, Paul reminded us, we were talking about uh, eating food offered to idols, and he said, listen, idols are nothing. Say nothing. They're nothing. They're not real. It doesn't really matter. And the food that uh, you you buy from the the temple is is no big deal because those idols aren't real, but, you know, it might cause your brother or sister to stumble, so you need to be careful about that. But don't worship any other idols. See back in verse 14, what he just said, dear friends, Flee from idolatry. Why would you worship another God, small g God? Why would you not worship the one true God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the, ones that, the one that actually has the power to give us this beautiful weather like we have today, right? He's literally in charge of everything. Why would you worship other little God, g, little g gods, right? Why would you do that? Why would you worship things that you make, that you create, that you have to sustain? And so we went back, for those of you who weren't there, we went back into 1 Samuel and we looked at the Philistines and they captured the Ark of the Covenant of God and they put it in front of their God, Dagon, the, the God that they created and you know made and they dusted and they shine it up and it was standing in the temple and in the morning, Dagon is bowed down in front of the Ark of the Covenant of God So the Bible literally says that they picked up their God and put it back in place, right? And it's like, wait a minute, you're worshiping something that you made that you have to put back in place? Why would you do that, 
right? And then I think about what we do all the time. We have, we, we worship things that if we worship a vehicle or if we worship our business or if we worship anything other than the one true God, why do we do that? We're the ones that have to maintain that, right? We're the ones that have to put it back in place. That seems kind of silly to me, doesn't it? Instead, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need you to dust him off. God doesn't need you to fight for him. That's, but it is so blessed, isn't it, that he wants a relationship with us and he actually lets us do things for him even though he doesn't need it. I remember back uh, years ago when my, uh, my kids were little and I was building a shed and they helped me, <laughs> right? I, I could have literally done it better without them, but instead I, I invited them to join me. That's what God does. Why would we worship little G gods that we have to prop up and we have to maintain? And so that's what he says, flee. Flee from idolatry. Listen, I'm talking to sensible people. Verse 15, I'm talking to sensible people. Why would you do that? That seems kind of silly, doesn't it? So that's what he's talking about. Instead, we need to love each other. We look at our freedoms that we get through Christ and we love each other and we help each other and we're reminded that our convictions might not be everybody's convictions and we don't want to cause younger brothers and sisters to stumble. So just be careful what you do there. Flee from idolatry, you sensible people. Um, can I just remind you, one of the little gods that we tend to worship sometimes, um, I mean, again, cars or houses or businesses or you know bank accounts or whatever but sometimes we worship um our spouse don't don't do that to them <laughs> don't put that on them they're not god they're gonna fail and and you know right you've already realized that they're not god you love them they're awesome but they're not worthy of worship like the one true god don't do that to your kids I mean, grandkids, that's kind of, uh, no, 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 not, don't even do it to grandkids. You know, don't, don't do that. Um, let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 16. This is when it's going to get um, interesting with, about their culture back then. Verse 16 says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? Your mind's going, isn't it, right now? The bread that we break is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Okay, so what he's talking about, he's talking about the Lord's Supper, right? He's talking about when we have communion together. Now, this is important to understand what argument he's gonna make because when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we're gonna do next week, right? Pastor Jeff is gonna have a little, a little thing up here and it's not very glamorous, but it's a, it's a really, it's a good way for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper celebrate the bread which represents the body of Christ and the, the juice that represents the blood of Christ. And when we're doing that, when we're opening that little container and taking, what are we doing? We're, we're literally worshiping our God, aren't we? We're thinking about what Jesus did. He said, listen, do this and remember what I've told you until I come back. So when we do that, the Lord's Supper, we're worshiping Jesus, amen? Now, this is important to remember. We're worshiping Jesus. We're thinking about his body that was given for us 
on the cross. We're thinking about the blood that poured out from his body and what it means. And we're partaking and thinking, Lord, I love you. Thank you for giving yourself for me. I worship you. I remember you. I want to follow you. That's what we're saying. Amen? So he's going he's gonna to play on what they're doing in the temple with their idol gods. And he keeps on going, verse 17, he says, because there is one body, excuse me, because there is one bread, uh, we who are many are one body, and since we all, all of us share in one bread, so he's talking about that again, he's going to talk about that, but being one body in chapter 12, so he's talking about communion in chapter 11, and this verse in chapter 12, verse 18 It goes on for context. It says, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What What am I saying then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. Say no. No, but I do say that what they... I do not want you to be participants with demons. Okay, so we need to take a time out here. What's he talking about? So we're going to break it down. This is when I need to go back and talk about what we talked about in chapter 8 because he's talking about people bringing offerings to the temples of little G gods to sacrifice to them. So there was all kinds of gods that they worshipped. They worshipped a fertility god. They worshipped the sun god. And oh, I want my crops. And I want, you know, bless my health and all this. So they had all these little gods that they worshipped. And they had temples. And they would bring sacrifices. And then when they would bring sacrifices to their temple, it was divided up into three parts. So the first part, uh, one third of it, was burnt on the altar and was just burnt up. And that's the offering to the god. Another third of it, was, uh, was eaten by the family and friends in a celebration in the temple. A third of it in the temple. Are you with me? A meal. And then a third of it was given to the priests. The priest didn't, there was a whole bunch of people that brought sacrifices, so the priest didn't need everything. So they would take part of their meat and they would go out behind the temple and they set up a little, uh, a little uh, meat market and they would sell the food out of the meat market And that's what we were dealing with in chapter 8, this third of it right here. And Paul says, listen, you can buy ribeyes there, it's fine. You know, they're good. The idol's nothing, it doesn't really matter. So if you want to buy cheap meat uh, that was given to the priests, and they're selling it cheap, and you can afford it, go ahead and enjoy because the idols are nothing. That's what we talked about in chapter 8. This this chapter, chapter 10, we're going to talk about the second part. So we just talked about, he says, the cup that we bless in, the, in the, the bread, thinking about Jesus, the, the juice, thinking about the blood of Jesus, and now he's thinking about, you do that as a, as a church family. Don't we have a, a meal, a Lord's Supper meal? He says the pagans do the same exact thing. The, the, the third of it, they gather around and they sit down and they eat the meal, and he says, listen, that God is nothing, and it's no, no big deal really that that you would eat that, it has nothing to do with the meat, but it has everything to do with the circumstances. And he's literally saying, just like we worship 
Jesus through the Lord's Supper, they worship demons through their meal. Now, they don't mean to be, but you're either on God's side or you're not. And he's saying, this is just like, I mean, they think they're worshiping to a fertility God or a health God or whatever, but they're really, Satan and the demons are using that. And so they're literally, as they sit down at their table and they're celebrating and they're eating their food, just like we do at the Lord's Supper and worship Jesus, they're worshiping demons. And he's like, you gotta be careful about that. Does that make sense? I mean, that, that's something that you should be careful about. So draw, Paul is drawing this comparison between what the Christians do and what they do. Um, look at verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we, are, are we stronger than he? Those idols are nothing. They're not real. But it can be viewed as being willing accomplices if we're not careful. Let me give you an example of this. Let's say tomorrow you get invited over to your neighbor's house. And they're grilling ribeyes. Hey, Mike, ribeyes are good, Right? They're grilling ribeyes, and man, you can just smell it. It's, oh boy, that's going to be good. He, he invites you over, so you sit down, and you're about two bites into that ribeye, and it's exactly the way that you like it. I don't know how you like your ribeye, but I mean, it's cooked perfectly, and you take that first bite, and ooh, can you, can you see it, church? Sorry to do this to you, but we'll be out in a little bit. You can go to lunch, but listen, and then all of a sudden he says, yeah, dude, like, I could never afford these, these good steaks. So what I did is I went you know, down the block and right around the corner, there's that little grocery store. I, I, stole, I stole these. I stole these. And that's why we're enjoying them right now. All of a sudden, that's like, oh man, that steak, woo, that was good. That first bite was good. But now all of a sudden, if you keep participating you're kind of a willing accomplice to his theft, aren't you? This is what Paul's saying. Listen, there's nothing wrong with the meat. But if you sit, if you enjoy that meat with that family in the temple, they're going to think that you're approving of everything that they're doing. And they're literally worshiping demons and false gods, and you shouldn't be doing that. Just like with your neighbor, now you've got this situation. It's like, okay, I don't want to offend him, but... If I stay here and if I don't say anything, he's going to think it's okay. Are you with me? So these are real life situations, aren't they? That we come into when we're, uh, uh, listen, life, life can get messy. So there, he's going to, my neighbor's going to interpret that as me going along with it, and I don't want that. And so look at verse 23. We've got to keep going through our text. It says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market. So you can go, go out back, right, and buy the cheap meat. That's fine. Without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. That's out of Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Like, God made the cow, God made the grass that it eats, God made everything and it's wonderful and there's nothing wrong with it, but in the wrong context, 
if you're going to cause other people to stumble or if you're affirming you know, their pagan, sinful ways, then, then now we've got to be careful. Verse 27, if any of the unbelievers invites you over, this is kind of plays out what I just said. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But, say but, are you with me? Verse 28, but if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. You don't want them to think that you're affirming there's some power or something special about their God. I do not mean, verse 29, for your own conscience, because you're good, right? You're like, hey, this is God. God made the cow. I'm good. It's permissible, but it might not be beneficial. Verse 29, I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by other person's conscience? If, a, if I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized? Because of something for which I gave thanks. He's almost like, man, I really want some more of that ribeye, right? But I can't because the neighbor's going to be confused about where I stand on things. So whether you eat, listen to this, this is awesome, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Boy, we could walk out of here right now with that verse on our hearts, right? No matter what you do, church, do it for the glory of God. How do you know that you don't have idols in your life? If everything that you do is for the glory of God. If your main concern is his glory in your life, his satisfaction with what you're doing, I think you'll be in good stead. Verse 32, just, it says, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. So that they may be saved. Ultimately, we do everything for the glory of God so that other people um, see our good works and glorify God, right? So that we have the opportunity to share the gospel, so when you, with your neighbor, you're sitting there and he says that, that now that's a, all of a sudden that's an opportunity for you to go above and beyond and do something just crazy radical, right? Say, listen, uh, we can go ahead and eat this, but let's, I'm going to go tomorrow to the store right around the corner, you know, down the street and around the corner, and I'm going to make right. I won't tell him that you stole the things, but I'm going to pay for what you did and listen, if, you're, if you need something, let me know, friend, right, neighbor. Um, God loves you. God's blessed my life. I want to be able to see how you can turn something into his glory and share the gospel. It doesn't matter what circumstance it is. Julie and I had some friends. They were a little younger than us, but we started getting to know them a little bit. And they asked, they asked me to do their, their wedding for them. They were, neither one was saved at the time and so I was okay with that <clears throat> I feel like biblical policy is you can marry two saved people or two unsaved people just not one of each because the Bible says you're not supposed to be unequally yoked so listen Christian girls I don't care how can I say hot in the church I don't care how hot the guy is if he's not saved you're you're in trouble you shouldn't do that anyway so they, they, they were both unsaved 
and she was a chiropractor and he, he was a delivery guy and we got to know him and I wanted to, I wanted to get more involved in their lives so that I could share the gospel. So I started going to her as, uh, for chiropractic treatments so that I could get to know her better and, and, and share and Jolene did as well. And so pretty soon, praise God, uh, they, got, they, got, they were living together, by the way, and, and praise God, they got saved. Both of them got saved, and, and it, was so, it was so awesome. And I'll never forget, I know exactly where I was. Two days later, she called me up, and she said, Pastor Ken, she goes, should we be living together? I said, well, no. That, that doesn't honor God. And by the way, it's so cool because I didn't have to tell her the Holy Spirit told her. And I said, well, no. And, um, and she said, I'm confused. Why didn't you say anything? I said, because that wasn't your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is you needed to get saved. Listen, we don't clean the fish before they get in the boat. I'll let you think about that for a minute. You don't clean the fish before they get in the boat. Listen, if I, would have, if I would have convinced them to, to not live together and all, clean up all this kind of stuff, it just makes them more ready, more morally correct on their way to hell. It may, like we can clean up the world and all kinds of morality issues, but that just makes the world a better place to go to hell from. Are you with me? They needed Jesus. And then Jesus took care of it. So they're like, okay, so here's what we're gonna do. Say, I don't know what to do right now, but the, so their bedroom was upstairs. He slept for two nights on the couch down in the living room till he found a place, and then he moved out, and, and they lived separate until I was able to marry them as a Christian couple a couple months later, amen? But see, we didn't worry, yeah, yeah. Give God a hand because we didn't worry about where they were. They were lost, Lost people do lost things. They needed Jesus. I'm pretty opinionated about a lot of things like politics and things like that. A lot of times I don't share that stuff because I don't want to alienate the person I'm talking to and cost me an opportunity to share the gospel just so I can get my opinion out there. People need to hear the good news of Jesus. And we are to do everything for his glory. Everything, whether you eat or sleep, when you go to work, when you're spending time with your family, when you're spending intimate time with your spouse, when you're riding your bike, when you're, I don't care what you're doing, every moment of your life is to be for his glory and thinking about him and he will open the door for you to have opportunities to share and by the way as we close we think about this i believe that every time the gospel is presented every time the word of god is proclaimed it calls for a response from us so i would just ask you this simple question what's your next step after hearing what we just talked about we started off with, listen, flee from idolatry. Don't put anything in front of God. And then glorify God with everything that you do. So where are you at? What's God telling you to do? Not your neighbor, because I can, boy, we, we know how to fix our neighbor, don't we? <laughs> but, but God's worried about us. 
So what's God calling you to do? It occurs to me that in a group this size, there may be someone in here that has never truly trusted in Jesus Christ. Uh, they're, still trying to, they're still trying to work out things on their own. And, and boy, pastor, if you knew everything that I've done, if you knew all the things in my past, it doesn't matter what you've done. The only thing that's important is what he's done. And he died for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Maybe this morning would be an opportunity for you to come to Jesus for the very first time. And then some of us who have been walking in faith for a while, maybe we put something on the shelf that's more important than God. Maybe God's telling you, it's like, eh, you need to do that, something with that. He wants to be first, and he deserves to be first in your life. Maybe you can get that right. You know, I just want to say prayer is an amazing thing, and prayer is powerful. And it might be that God's calling you to come and just squat down on one of these chairs or kneel up at this altar and pray for somebody who's lost. They, they would love an advocate. They don't know it, but they need you as an advocate to lift them up to the Lord. And the Lord will, Lord will send somebody in their lives. Maybe you. Amen? So praise team, come on up. Whatever, whatever it is that God's telling you to do, what's your next step this morning? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll sing an invitation song. If God's calling you to move, you move. Father God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he did for us. And, and I just would ask, Lord, in this time, that you would help us to put you number one, to lift you high. Would you put on our hearts someone who needs to know Jesus and be radically changed and find repentance and find the love and forgiveness of a heavenly father. Would we lift them up to you? And Father, if there's someone that doesn't know you and you're talking to them right now, would, would they not say no to you? Give them, the, give them the urgency that today in this moment is the moment that they need. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.